weekend? Yes. yes. Oh. I'll start by introducing myself, and I'll do that standing, and then I'll have a seat after that so I can work the computer. Anytime along the way, if you have any questions, or if I'm not speaking loud enough, don't hesitate to let me know. I have been an occupational therapist for 19 years. Now, is everybody familiar with occupational therapy? Okay, so it can be similar to physical therapy, and no worries, I'm not going to try and find anybody a job. <laughs> Sometimes when I go in and introduce myself to do an evaluation, folks say, I don't need to work anymore, I'm done with that. No worries there. But occupational therapy enables you to get back to doing what you're no longer able to do, whether it be because of an acute illness or a fall or things of that nature. So all those little things we take for granted, getting up in the morning, getting washed, dressed, preparing a meal, those things we tend to do on autopilot, those are the things that I can help get you independent in again or make it easier for. But the other thing I do are driving assessments and also giving education on aging and driving. <clears throat> I've worked at Kendall at Hanover, which is a continuing care retirement community for 17 years. And for the past 15 years, I've been doing driving assessments there uh, in conjunction with the medical director and our two nurse practitioners that we have on staff. So between the two of us, we can assess the residents driving, see if they're safe to continue, see if they need to stop driving or if there are just limitations that need to be made. Unlike with typical rehab where you can usually work at something, do some exercises, uh, repeat, 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 exercise some more and you can get better at things. Typically with uh, driving, that's not always the case because it can be related to things that we can't improve. Vision, hearing, good morning. Uh, cognitive loss, <clears throat> loss of reaction time, and you're going to hear that quite a bit through my presentation. Okay. All right. So I don't know if everybody can see that, but you've got an older lady pulling up to the mailbox trying to order cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> and someone off in the distance is saying, I'm starting to think retesting seniors for driving isn't a bad idea. <laughs> so at this point, when you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, they don't do anything special for seniors or older drivers. Uh, same thing applies. You can go in, usually have a vision test. Uh, maybe they'll have you drive around the block, maybe they won't, and you're good for another five years. Mm -hmm. So we'll have Kendall residents come in, 95, 98 years old, and say, I'm good to go. <laughs> All right. So I don't know how many people love statistics, but I'm going to get those out of the way first. They're not my favorite thing. <clears throat> older drivers, and we define older drivers as those of 65 and older, are the fastest growing segment of the driving population in total numbers, as well as the number of miles driven per year. A lot of these statistics are going to make sense. Maybe not the specific number, but you're going to go, oh yeah, that sounds about right. Fatal crash involvement was highest for older drivers and teenagers. We've heard that before, right? They're comparable. 
drivers 85 and older had the highest rate overall. Fatal crashes involving those over 70 years of age occur at intersections 40% of the time. Makes sense, where we might not see accidents on back roads where there isn't a lot of distractions, we're gonna see them at intersections where there's a lot going on. Compared to a rate of 23% for the ages of 35 to 54. The major cause of accidents at intersections is failure to yield, especially while making a left-hand turn. Compared to drivers 35 to 59, older drivers are two times more likely to die in a car accident and three times more likely than 20-year-old drivers. Doesn't really seem fair, does it? But this is thought to be because the older drivers increase the susceptibility to injury and, and fragility. Over 80% of people 65 and older take at least one prescription med medication. Now, I'm not an expert on medication, so if you ask me about a certain medication, I'm probably not going to know what its side effects are, but that you should know. Hopefully, it's right on the bottle. If not, you can ask your doctor, you know, uh, what makes you sleepy, what you, shouldn't, what you shouldn't take before operating heavy machinery, which counts, which a motor vehicle counts for that. Many of the most common medications have the potential to decrease safe driving ability. Some studies have indicated that older drivers will self-limit their driving, so that can be avoiding night driving, avoiding busier or more congested times of day, like when schools are getting in or getting out for the day, uh, when Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, when all those staff are getting out at the end of their shift, those are times to avoid driving. Studies suggest older drivers with decreased vision are unaware of their condition and continue to drive as normal. So some folks don't have a regular eye appointment to see how their eyes are doing and when low vision sneaks in, we might not realize it. I had a gentleman who was 85, had bilateral cataract surgery done, had them both done at the same time and once his eyes had healed enough from the surgery and he looked in the mirror, he, was, he said he wished he hadn't had it done because he saw an old man before him. <laughs> so you can see how changes will sneak in and you won't realize it if your vision is decreasing. Older drivers with a severe restriction in their spatial area were six times more likely to have one or more crashes in a five-year period. So what's our spatial area? That can be out here. Now we're always told keep your eyes on the road but that's not all we really have to keep our eyes on. We have to see why, what might be coming from the right or the left or behind us. Older drivers have been shown to utilize fewer side-to-side -side glances while in the process of turning than middle-aged drivers. Why might that be? Stiff neck? Can't move it as far as we used to be able to? Older drivers have been shown to have deficits in selective attention and divided attention, as well as slowing of visual information processing. So this doesn't have anything to do with our IQ, how smart we are, how road-wise we are. This has to do with how our brain is processing. And when it processes slower, we can get through our daily routine like that. That's not really going to affect our meal preparation. Let's do a postpone. There we go. 
So our, our daily routine isn't going to be affected if we have a slower reaction time, unless we're doing something where we need fast reaction time, and that's with driving. There isn't really anything else we do, unless there are any of you out there who still fly a plane, and there are a couple Kendall residents who still fly a plane, that counts too. Research shows that driving ability is more closely related to a driver's personal abilities and comorbidity factors and not just arbitrary age. So if at any point during this presentation you have you hear me say it's age related, you you can slap my hand because it's not just age related. There are perfectly good 95 year old drivers. So it does have a lot to do with good morning. Hi, good morning. No problem. It it has a lot to do with how we work in general. Lifelong bad drivers. I've tested a few of those. So what are the risk factors? Vision and or hearing impairment. And there are different types of vision. It's not just our acuity that I'm talking about. It can be our peripheral vision. It can be contrast sensitivity, how we do differentiating between what's in front and what's behind, uh, especially at dusk or nighttime when things aren't as clear. Our scanning ability, how we do looking to the right sidewalk and the left sidewalk and what's coming. And hearing impairment, it's, it's important to be able to hear what's going on around us, whether it be something, we've got this tink, 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 tink that starts in our vehicle, or whether it happens to be, boy, I have a lot of people honking at me today, I wonder why. Cardiovascular illness, cerebrovascular illness, peripheral neuropathy. Now, one can have a lack of feeling in their hands and feet and still be a safe driver, but it's important to be aware of that lack of feeling and how you can compensate for that. Uh, my dad was a diabetic and he could not feel from his knees and down and most of the time that did not affect his driving until probably his last five years of life. Uh, he liked to plow for the old ladies. He had about 30 old ladies that he uh, plowed their driveways in the winter. Um, ours was the last one to be done and he stepped on the gas instead of the brake by mistake. So my mom got an extension on the garage that next year. <laughs> Balance disorder can be a risk factor for driving. Lung disease, decline in cognitive function, and also a decrease in overall reaction time. So you'll see later on in my presentation, you can have a little bit of cognitive decline and you can have a little bit of decrease in your reaction time and still be safe to drive. Um, and we'll discuss where that line is. So legal vision for driving. Anyone seeking a driver's license or a renewal in New Hampshire is required to have a minimum of 20-40 vision with both eyes or if you can only see out of one eye, you need to be able to have 20-30 in the one eye. Vermont is 20-40 in both eyes and one eye. So what you can see here is with cataracts what normal vision would look like and what vision would look like through cataracts. And now that's probably mild cataracts. Macular degeneration, you could see where that could pose a significant safety issue on the road. And glaucoma or a loss of peripheral vision. 
So that says, can't quite make it out, Mrs. Gernbach. And we drove here all by ourselves, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> now, there are folks out there who have memorized e-chart, yeah? Mm -hmm. So hopefully your physicians are wise and have more than one vision chart so they can swap it out. Cognition, this is where we find the most significant role. It's not just our memory, so it's not just a matter of um, remembering where we parked. But it has to do with our orientation, our concentration, and if confusion sneaks in. Studies show that those diagnosed with mild dementia can still be safe to drive. So that's good news, right? Uh, but you should be tested every six months to see, and you could go six months and then you could go another six months and you could go another six months. It all depends on how pro progressive the dementia is. But the good news is one can still drive with mild dementia. For those with moderate to severe dementia, they should discontinue driving. So when is it time to give up the keys? Driving is an essential part of people's daily lives. Recognizing and accepting the signs can be a difficult process. So our folks in here today, um, because their driving is perfectly fine and they're here for somebody else. I thought everybody's hands were, oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> so recognizing the signs, what are those safety hazards that could be sneaking in? Some are minor, some, some can be major. There are a lot of signs, so you can keep these in mind for yourself or for your loved ones. So moving too slowly on the highway. You know, if people are zipping past you, mm -hmm. your interstate will have a maximum speed, lim speed limit and a minimum speed limit. So you want to make sure you're going at least the minimum. Failing to come to a full stop at a stop sign. So this comes back to driver's ed. Coming to that, that intersection and counting. One, two, three and then going. Rolling stops don't count as a true stop. Being inattentive and easily distracted. So that can be with what's going on inside your vehicle or what's going on outside your vehicle. Do you have passengers? Are they talking a lot? Are you focusing more on their conversation and less on the road? Do you listen to the radio? Uh, do some of your stations that you listen to help you focus on driving? And once the news comes on, do you find that more distracting? Making erratic moves, last minute turns, things of that nature. Reacting too slowly. Being honked at by other drivers. Difficulty staying in the lane of travel. Of course, in New Hampshire, it would be nice if they repainted the lines a little more often mm -hmm. so we knew where those were. Vermont too. Vermont too, absolutely. <laughs> Trouble judging gaps in traffic and intersections. So there are two different things to look for. Uh, is too much space, good morning. Sorry, okay. Is too much space being left between your vehicle and the vehicle in front of you? Or uh, do you find like you are almost in the back seat of the vehicle in front of you? So it can be too much space or too little space. Getting lost more often. Difficulty seeing the sides of the roads. More frequent close calls. Whew. Hard to turn around and check over your shoulder. 
missing traffic signs or signals, just driving right through them. Haven't we been on the road and we see somebody else do that and we take a quick breath and hope they make it through safely? Knowing what signs or signals mean. Getting anxious at busy intersections or parking areas. Being afraid to drive. When you get to that point, that's a good sign. Having more tickets or warnings. Or upsetting your passengers who may refuse to ride with you. One of the questions I ask during my assessment is, have you been given any feedback from others? And sometimes I'll get the response, well, no, not since they stopped driving with me. <laughs> <laughs> Advice to clients and loved ones. So you want to make sure you have your vision and hearing tested regularly. You want to know your medications and what the side effects are. You want to stay physically fit. That doesn't mean you, have, you need to be able to run a marathon, but you want to make it easy for yourself to get in and out of the vehicle so that's not a struggle. You want to have enough mobility, especially in your neck, to make sure you can turn to see what you need to see. <clears throat> you want to drive under less stressful conditions. So again, that could be avoiding busy, busy times of day. And you want to plan your route in advance. It helps to write things down. Okay, first I need to go to the bank, and then I need to go to the post office, <clears throat> and then I need to go to the hardware store. Well, wait a minute. That's going to cause a little extra driving and a few more turns. So what if I change up the order? So that's something you can plan ahead of time. And then, if there isn't any construction around, you'll be good to go. You want to have your vehicle maintained. You know, we have to have our bodies tuned up. We have to do the same thing for our vehicles, too. AARP. Uh, offers a refresher driving course, excellent to take, um, and some of your insurance companies will offer you a discount if you've taken it. You want to avoid alcohol before driving, and of course when driving, but I don't think I need to tell this population that. You want to listen to your loved ones, listen to the feedback they're giving you, even though it might be hard to hear. And when it gets down to the basics, if you've had a poor night's sleep, if you're not feeling well, that can decrease your, your cognition, your reaction time. If you don't have to drive, don't drive. So how do we help someone else limit or stop their driving? You need to assess the situation and watch for any of those signs. And one of the things you can do, whether you're doing it for yourself or you're doing it for a loved one, is start taking notes. Put the date down what there might have been for close calls and just start to keep track that way. Because if there's just a few, there's probably nothing to worry about. But if you start writing down a whole lot more, then it's something to think about. Begin a process of having a well-meaning conversation about driving with the driver. Easier to type that out, very hard to do. Because we end up being the bad guy if we suggest that their driving might not be up to par. Uh, it's still important, even if you know, even if you anticipate that the conversation is going to go poorly, it's still important to have the conversation. And you can suggest various options. You can suggest they take the AARP refresher course. You can suggest they limit their driving. So whether that means, rather than making three trips out in a day to go to three different places, driving once and trying to hit those all three places. Encourage gradual use of other modes of transportation and I do that now. 
I have some residents who request, I don't have to drag them in kicking and screaming, they request to have a driving assessment done once a year so they can see what has snuck in for changes. And I recommend to everybody, whether they need it or not, start becoming familiar with other modes of transportation before you need it. And that way it won't seem so daunting when you get to that point. And it helps to do that with a buddy, whether it be a family member or friend. You can make a day of it. Okay, let's get on this bus and see where it takes us and how long it takes us. Um, it also doesn't have to be the bus. It can be the taxi. It can be neighbors. You could do a sharing type system. It can be family. And if need be, you can, you can seek additional help if necessary from doctors. Um, lots of folks don't have the time to do the assessment that I do, but doctors can do a quick one uh, in their office to assess whether one is safe to drive or not. And more doctors are getting there. Um, they don't want to hamper that good relationship that they have with you, but it's also important that they do their due diligence uh, to make sure you're going to be safe when you leave when you leave that appointment. So uh, my doctor and the two nurse practitioners where I work are fabulous. They're, they can sit down, we can sit down with residents and let them know if it's time to stop or time to limit their driving. And over the last uh, 15 years, the conversations have not gotten any easier, um, but they're most beneficial. <clears throat> Every once in a while, we'll have a resident surprise us and we'll give them the bad news, which most of the time is a surprise, but we've had a, a few residents say, okay, 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 great. So, anticipated responses, you name it, you could get this response. My family is being overprotective. There's nothing wrong with my driving. I have never been in an accident. And I believe them. I'm sure they've gone most of their lives and never been in an accident. And it's important that they stop before they get into an accident. My family counts on me to drive them. How am I supposed to get my errands done if I can't get in the car and drive? And you can't make me stop driving. I've heard I've been driving all my life, and I'm not going to let some young whippersnapper tell me I shouldn't be driving. Well, I had that response. <laughs> so part of your well-meaning conversations could include, look at the money you'll save on car insurance, and if you can give them a specific dollar amount, that helps. Look at the money you'll save on gas. And today, of course, it's all about carbon footprint, so if you can help save the environment, that might help as well. You can say insurance companies will investigate whether an accident has been your fault or not. Now, I don't know what people's experience is with insurance companies. I'm sure some are better than others, but they don't typically like to give the money away. So if they can find fault, they're going to. Think of your safety and the safety of others and how terrible you would feel if you hurt somebody else. It would be one thing if we had our own back roads to drive on and we didn't have anybody else to worry about. I would probably say, have at it. Why not? Live for your die, it says on the New Hampshire license plates, right? But unfortunately, we've got a lot of busy roads out there. Role playing, eh, not the most popular thing to do, but it has worked for some. 
Okay. Last resort. What if you've had a few well-meaning conversations and still you cannot convince that unsafe driver that it's time to limit or stop driving? What can you do next? Uh, modifications can be made to the car. I'm not, I, this wouldn't work for me because I don't know much about the car, but you know, a spark plug could be pulled or something like that so the car won't work. Losing the car keys so the person isn't able to drive. And then a letter to the DMV. I'm not sure if it's uh, ready to go yet, but you may actually be able to get onto the DMV website. Can everybody hear me okay with the lawnmower out there? Okay. Uh, you may be able to get onto the DMV website and you might be able to do a concern letter right online. If not, you can write a letter to the DMV expressing your concerns. Uh, they'll want to know specific examples of what's been done they drove over the curb or they went through a red light they'll want specifics and then they won't wait for the resident for the person to be uh, up for renewal they'll call them in for a test and it will be a little more thorough than what you would do if you went in for a renewal so that can be done as well I have to say uh, it's not ideal uh, people can pass those DMV tests right we, we might not be good drivers but we test well <laughs> So that can happen. And if you fail your DMV test the first time, you can wait two weeks and go in and take it again. And you can fail it a second time. You can wait two weeks and take it again. Mm. So keep that in mind as well. Okay. Um, can I ask a question? Yes. About that? <clears throat> two questions. Um, can the report be filed anonymously? So and is that New Hampshire only or Vermont and New Hampshire? So this I know for, for New Hampshire. Um, and you can file and you can request to remain anonymous. So when the DMV uh, calls in the person to be tested, they won't automatically say, this person ratted you out. However, if the person being tested uh, asks who reported them, then they're obligated to tell them. Find out about Vermont. I think Vermont has two weeks between because I had to go and have be retested that one time after I had a stroke. And um, yeah, I think it, I did. I came too fast down the hill, so I missed the first uh, test. And then I think it was two weeks before I could be be retested. I do have some case studies to share, uh, but first I was going to give you a couple assessments to try. Don't worry, I'm not going to look at the results. This is for your eyes only, but this is just to give you a little idea. The first one is recognizing your road signs. Now when I do my assessment, I have flashcards with the road signs on, and I don't have anything tricky. I just have what you might see around here. You may start when you get these. You just want to try and match up the description with the shape of the sign.
a writing utensil. What do you have for the octagon? D. 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 Horizontal rectangle. What was M? Put one. We'll go what down the left and then we'll go down the right. So if you have D for the octagon, what do you have for the horizontal rectangle? A. Yes. A. Mm -hmm. The equilateral yeah. triangle. A. Good. Now there are two sides to this. 
want to keep it with my funny looking star at the top and want that face up for now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> between 1 and 25. What you need to do is connect the numbers in order as quick as you can. What I'm going to do is time you. I'll say go and if I see some hands go up I'll start telling you times and you can just take note for yourself of what your time was. Ready? Go. minute. So we'll stop there. Remember, I'm not getting those back, so no worries there. For those that completed it in 39 seconds and below, that's considered normal reaction time. Uh, when your time gets a little slower, you get to the mild impairment, moderate impairment, severe impairment. Now, when your reaction time is tested in the doctor's office or if you go to see an OT, uh, hopefully they're giving you more than one reaction time test. I do three that being said, go ahead and flip your paper over. This one here, you're going to see numbers and letters. What you need to do is connect them in order in ascending, in ascending order. So 1A, 2B, 3C, etc. Okay? Same thing. When you get done, just wave your hand and I'll tell you what your time is. Ready? Go.
geriatrics mm -hmm. at DHMC they administered a cognition test right there so yep. fabulous yep. but as I said if it's something you want to have done for yourself or a loved one um, typically they get you in and out right they, they've mm -hmm. got a schedule to keep but if it's something you want done call ahead of time so they have it ready to go for you how do you think this compares to in our clinic the providers use the slums um, I think the slums can be very effective, especially if, if it's consistently used. So if you go in and you and the slums is completed on you, the next time you go in, if it's done again, that data can be compared. But the slums is a legitimate testing tool. Yeah. It's a tough tool, though, I think. And sometimes for the clinicians, one that's easier and fast to administer will, would be best. So there are ones that are faster to complete out there. Good questions. Right. Okay, so a little bit about what I've completed. I have done 375 driving screens. So when folks come in to see me, whether it's upon their request or because they've gone in for their annual physical and our doctor or nurse practitioner <coughs> says, hmm, something's a little different. I'm gonna have you do one of these. Or if a family member says, could you please test them? They come in and see me. What I tell them is anything and everything that has to do with driving will be tested. So I have four different vision tests I do. The acuity, the peripheral vision, contrast sensitivity, and scanning. I do three reaction time tests. I do um, just, you know, sometimes I'll talk a little slower and how's their, how's their hearing? I test their range of motion in their neck, in their arms, and in their legs. I test their sensation. I test their strength. Um, not only arm and leg strength, but their grip and pinch strength. Is there enough pinch there to, for some of the vehicles, turn the key? For some, it's just pressing a button these days. Uh, so you name it, I, I test it. I have little flashcards with road signs. How many of those 
can they see? I do a cognition test, and that's what I'll do every time. Um, and then for the folks who have it done regularly, it's an excellent way to compare. Again, for those things that might have, that might sneak in, a decrease in your vision, a little decrease in your reaction time. We might not notice that on a day-to-day -day basis, but to come in and have this done on a regular basis, the proof's in the pudding. Between me and the doctor and the nurse practitioners, we have asked 62 people to stop driving. Now, some folks stop on their own. Some, some folks see the signs and stop and say, I don't need to come see you this year. I've already stopped driving. I gave my car to my granddaughter. Great, perfect. Um, most of those have not been easy conversations. They're, they're hard every time. We have two that still continue to drive because um, we are not able to take your keys. We can't take your license. We can only strongly recommend that you limit or stop driving. Um, push comes to shove. There are other things we can do. Write a letter to the DMV, but we can't make you stop driving. So folks might ask, well, don't you get frustrated if you know someone's unsafe and they're still on the road? Yes, but if I, if I test 10 people and, and I get one person to limit or stop driving, then I feel I've done a good deed. So, what else do you have for questions for me? I think my biggest problem is I know that I probably should stop driving, but living in the Upper Valley, getting from one place to another is not an easy job. So call on your family and your friends and neighbors, not just to physically help you, but also see what else is out there for options. You know, there are folks out there who are looking for a little part-time work. If they're a safe driver, maybe they can be your personal chauffeur. I'm hoping for that someday. <laughs> <laughs> Will that be covered this afternoon yeah. in the afternoon segment? Yeah, this yeah. I think it is. On, on, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Should be. Mm -hmm. okay. So I don't know if any of this information here will help you, but I have a little pamphlet on the shuttle to the airport for those who still do some traveling. Um, I have a flexibility fitness training pa package for improving older driving performance. Mm. A blindness by the light, how to handle glare mm. while driving. Drivers 55 plus, check your own performance. Now, it's still important to ask your doctor their opinion on you know, what they do to assess safe driving and, and if they agree because we can test ourselves and say, oh, I'm just fine. <laughs> Is your loved one driving safely? So this gives you some points to look for as well. And then a self-assessment for your driving. Two-pager, front and back. So if you haven't grabbed these already, you certainly may. Um, but again, rely on others. Ask around, see what there is. How far would the taxi go? Mm -hmm. um, it seems like you have a very comprehensive assessment program that's at Kendall. My mother doesn't live at Kendall. Can I pay you to assess her driving? I wish I could say yes to that. We have not been able to broaden out into the uh, greater community yet. Okay. One of those risk. Can you risk recommend factors. somebody who does what you do outside of Kendall, aside from just your PCP, is there anybody who provides that as a service? What I would do is actually start with your PCP okay. um, and, and list 
his or her help with this uh, because a lot of this they can they can do right in-house and we found that you know when we don't really want to hear that answer we're more apt to hear it from more of an authority figure our doctor do you have any opinion at all on these yellow tinted glasses that are supposedly supposed to help you drive at night? They absolutely can help at night. The thing to do is to test them out mm -hmm. uh, when you don't actually have a destination that you need to get to on a certain time. Uh, test them out and see if they work. Okay. Yep, because they can help. Thank you. Thank you. Other adaptive equipment, uh, good point about the tinted glasses. Uh, if your only struggle seems to be turning the key in, in the door lock or in the ignition, there are little uh, key turners, and I don't know if you're web savvy, but they can be added to your key, and they just give you a little extra hmm. torque, so it makes it a little easier on your joint. Do these handouts that you directed us to cover most of what's in your PowerPoint, or is your PowerPoint available? The PowerPoint can be made available. What I can uh, have folks do if they like it is I'll have you write down your email address and we can get it sent to you. Oh, good. Okay. That'd be wonderful. It was a little hard to take notes that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it, so I would love to see that. What if, uh, I don't think that my driving knife, any of these signs appeared yet, but I just don't enjoy driving anymore. Is that? Oh. That's a sign. That's yep. a sign? Yep. yep. And, and, and two of my kids, I have five children, so two of them are saying, yeah, uh, well, I kind of put myself into a box. I said when I reached a certain age, I was going to stop driving. Mm -hmm. So they have been enforcing that. On the other hand, three of the other kids are saying, eh, you're fine. <laughs> Ah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the thing to do is to talk with your PCP. Um, maybe you already have an idea of whether, I mean, you said it might be time. So look at those other options. Are your children local? Yeah, mostly, yeah. Okay, so you can also put some of it back onto them. Open up that box a little bit that you put yourself into and say, okay, I'd like to start limiting my driving. How can you help? That's what they're there for. We spent a lot of time taking care of our children. Now they can do a little bit. And honestly, when I did it for my <coughs> folks, it was a it was nice quality time being able to help drive them. So don't feel guilty for asking your children for help. I found in the Upper Valley, I, well, I come from White River, so I found the buses are great during the day. Mm -hmm. At night, to going to meetings or something, this, you have to ask for help, I guess. And probably. isn't there a drop down on the weekends too? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why do they? I don't do think that? there are buses on. The I don't either. No. 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 I wasn't sure, but somebody no had, had told me there weren't any. So. There was a program in Vermont where it was free, like a, was a whole bunch of people that volunteered to drive. Oh, fabulous! And my, my father, it was wonderful. Just yeah. you know, they had this wonderful. Yeah, relationship, and uh, he just you know, dropped him here to go and get his cookies that he had to have that day. And, Great. You know, every place. That's um, fabulous. And uh, I, I haven't checked in to see if it still exists, but I don't know why it wouldn't. Yep, so things like that can get. And started. I don't know if it's limited to, you know, people that actually live in Vermont. I don't. 
Mm-hmm. So, but it's worth looking into. Absolutely, yeah. Because it, it was it was perfect. Um, I went. My sister and I went through convincing my father he shouldn't realize when it was not pleasant. But well, it was fine. He accepted it. Well, I know more about driving in Vermont currently than in New Hampshire, but the Bugby Senior Center has transportation. Um, these are mostly medical appointments, but the Thompson Senior Center has mm-hmm. transportation, and they go to the plazas in West Lab twice a week. Um, if you live in Heartland or Windsor, there is Volunteers in Action. A lot of the, a lot of the communities, smaller communities, do have, um, you know, do have volunteer groups. Um, I think the question is ferreting them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Hanover Senior Center or the Black—that's the Black Center now, right? Yeah. I think that they um, they may know of certain organizations and. Uh, like in Lyme, there might be a grassroots group that will help with that. And that's what we need. We need a list of mm-hmm. all those phone numbers mm-hmm. we yeah. can call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other questions or comments? Feel free to grab any of the handouts to take with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.